Episode 83, Helena Liu on quitting your job and 10xing your online course business. The Online Course Guy Podcast. Regular people are taking their knowledge and content and packaging it up in an online course and they're making a living doing it. Didn't you take some kind of course that covered this stuff? Check it out. It's a good course. It's a good, be a good class. Ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready? Here's the Online Course Guy. Hey everyone, Jacques Hopkins here, and this is the Online Course Guy Podcast, episode 83. Today on the show, I brought back somebody that was on the podcast before, and she is absolutely crushing it. This is a really fun episode because I last had Helena on back in episode 29 in January, and back then she had just quit her job, and I've told her story so many times. I love her story of quitting her job because what happened was Helena was working a job in project management and she found out some kind of way that she was getting paid on the bottom end of the spectrum of all the people in her same position at her company. And she went to her bosses and they gave her a small raise, but it wasn't what she wanted. But she already had her online course on project management, actually. And so she had all the leverage. And she quit on the spot. She was bringing in about $5,000 per month from her online course at the time. And since then, she is now making over $60,000 a month. That's revenue from her project management online course at examspm.com. So I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But of course, I want to tell you about our sponsor of this podcast, and that is Bonjoro.com. If you have an online course business, then you should be thanking your customers when they sign up using a service like Bonjoro. You can quickly and easily send a quick video to people welcoming them and onboarding them to the online course. And you can get started with a free trial by going to Bonjoro.com slash Jacques. That's Bonjoro.com slash J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. All right, so in today's conversation with Helena, like I said, she has been on the podcast before, so you're not going to get a lot of the background, but you're going to get a lot of the strategies and tips that took her from like $5,000 a month with the same online course to over $60,000 a month. So a lot of that was webinars. This is a webinar-heavy conversation. So if you're interested in webinars or maybe you have a webinar already and it's not performing as well as you would like it to, this is the episode for you. Let's go ahead and jump into the full interview with Helena Liu right now. Helena Liu, welcome back to the Online Course Guy podcast. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me back. So let me kind of set the stage for people because you you came on the podcast, I think it was January. And from what I remember, you had just quit your job. Right. Yeah. You had just put in your two weeks or whatever. And I, I've told your story several times about quitting your job because I love, I love the leverage that you had. Like you yeah. were in a place where your, your boss, your company did something you didn't like. It's basically from what I remember, you found out you were, you weren't being paid as, as much as the other people with your same job. And that was okay. Cause you had all the leverage. You had an online course that was already bringing in $5,000 a month. So you're like, see ya. And Thank goodness you did because in just the time, like the two weeks between when you quit your job and when we talked on the podcast last, you had grown it even more. And from what I understand, you've enjoyed not having a job and you've continued to grow the business. So so catch me up with where things are with you. Yeah, yeah. So you were absolutely right. So last time I came, I think it was just 
less than a month in when I quit my job. My, I quit my job December 22nd, uh, 2017, so last year. Um, and I think we talked in January, so that was like less than a month since I quit my job. And then when we first met, I still had a job. So what? Um, so I was working at a bank, and um, and I found out that I was grossly underpaid. And when I like, asked my AVP or VP, whatever, for a raise, um, they, I think initially they said yes, and then there were they, it's all sorts of BS excuses. They were like, you know, uh, there was a hiring freeze or something like that, and they were like, yeah, we're putting it off to next quarter. And I was like, I, and then at that point, I think I made a, made a commitment to myself that I wasn't ever going to let someone else control my financial, you know, destiny. And, you know, I worked so hard at my job at the bank and actually enjoyed my job, but then I was like, wait, that at no fault of my own, did I just get passed up for a promotion? I did a great job. You know, they said they were going to give it to me and then they pulled it out, pulled off the promotion last minute, basically for no good reason, you know, nothing within my control. So then at that point, I just said, you know, um, I have this fleeting business, at the, if you want to call it, on the side where I was teaching project management. And then um, I just really believed in it. And um, I didn't know where it was going to go. It was really, really scary to quit my job. I mean, uh, I was like really, really nervous giving in my resignation because I knew I had a really good job at the bank. So like giving up that security that we've always been taught to, to hold on to, that was uh, that was the toughest thing that um, I ever had to do, really. But what really made my decision was when I um, asked myself, you know, do I want to, what kind of difference do I want to make in the world? Do I want to continue being in the bank and continue being a number and, you know, doing some paperwork, Excels and PowerPoints and stuff? Is that the kind of difference I want to make in the world? Or at the time, I think my list was around 15,000-ish, give or take. I was like, or I could actually go at this full time and make a difference to these 15,000 people. I don't know how, but I just know that these people are willing to listen to me and, and um, I can figure it out. And my heart just said, just take a risk, just take a chance. It's scary. I don't know what's going to happen, but all I know was I just wanted to make a difference to this community. And that was kind of my mindset when I quit. I never thought about, you know, the, how, how much my business um, exploded in the past, past uh, 10 months, past 10 months ish. Um, but all my m- entire mindset was really just on, you know, how can I make a big difference to this, to this group of people. And last time we talked, one of the big like growth strategies that you had that was start just starting to work for you that we talked about a good bit was webinars. Yes. Yes. Are you still, is that still your main funnel is selling with a webinar for your project management course? Yes. So I still use webinars to do that. Um, just to give you an idea, my business probably 12x since last time we talked about 12-ish x, 12x. So it's grown a lot. I've um, really perfected the funnel. Um, I probably, like people think that they can just do a webinar and it'll just run. Like it seems like the dream life, but I guess what people don't realize is that I actually recorded my webinar just about like a hundred times. I'm not exaggerating when I say that, like probably about a hundred times um, over three years. I and mean, in my first year, I just did it live, like everything live, but now it's, you know, more automated. Um, but what I'm saying is to get a webinar <laughs> working, it's, it's probably one of the hardest funnel to get working. But once it's working, you know, you kind of, you kind of like pretty much can print money. 
almost like a license to print money. Like you put $1 into ads, I know I'm probably going to get four back. So Yeah. But like you said, it it's like people think that it can be easy and glamorous to just have this evergreen webinar funnel running, but it's not like that. I 100% agree with you. One thing I remember that sticks out from the last time we talked was you know, not only did you do it live several times, but even when you started to transition to more of an evergreen approach, you were still still logging into the chat lines and moderating the chats, even though it was a pre-recorded webinar. I'm assuming you're not still doing that, are you? <laughs> no, <laughs> not that anymore. No. Yeah. Um, no. Um, yeah. So what I realized was, um, uh, and Sam Ovens actually did a study on this. He found that when there was someone in the chat, when versus someone not in the chat, um, he noticed a 0.5% boost in conversions. Um, but that's a huge difference for Sam Ovens um, because he sells his consulting program between 2K to, I believe, 8K. Um, yeah, the one he sells on the webinar is a 2K product, $2,000 product. So he has two different webinars. He has the one for the 2K and he has a different one where it's more... Uh, done for you where it's um a phone close so he just gets you to sign up uh, for an appointment with one of his sales reps mm-hmm. and then they try to close you on the phone i believe that one was 8k mm-hmm. but anyway regardless of how much it, it actually is um what he noticed was that from his webinars was that there was a 0.5 percent boost in conversions uh when there was someone in the chat versus someone who's not so um, what I realized was like, cause I'm selling my course for between 300 to 400 kind of dollars. It didn't really make sense to have someone in the chat cause the, the boosting conversions didn't really even things out that much. Um, so I stopped having someone in the chats for that reason, but, uh, but I'm not saying that you shouldn't have someone in the chat, like kind of work out the map. If you're doing something high ticket on your webinars, then absolutely it makes sense to have someone in the chat. And he actually has an entire team of people, a uh, support team of people 24 seven who's in the chat. So like he actually scheduled it out. Like people have different shifts, like, you know, Mary takes, um, 8 a.m. till 5 p.m. whatever, and he has next girl coming out, and then next person um, going in the chat. So he has like a whole system worked out just for the chats. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. I'm, I'm, I've I've taken a lot of Sam Ovens programs, and for those people maybe not familiar with them, he runs Consulting.com. He he teaches people to to um to be successful consultants in just about any niche. Um, but that's interesting you brought up the chat thing because that's something that's been on my mind. I've been experimenting with webinars the past maybe two months with Piano in 21 Days. And I've been um, I've been selling a 497 product with an Evergreen webinar really well the past few weeks. And at, as we speak, I have the chat up right now just in case a comment comes through because oh, nice. I figured conversions would be way higher than, would you say, point? did you say 0.5% or 0.05%? 0.5%. 0.5%. So a half a percent higher. So I can see right now in my EverWebinar control center, there are three people currently in the room watching the webinar. Yeah. Um, no chats are coming in right now, but if they do, I'm ready to respond to them. But if it's only a half a percent, I think that may be a waste of my time. Yeah. I, and I, I had chats for many months. And then when I got rid of it, uh, when I just stopped you know, being in the chat, I didn't I didn't really notice a huge difference in conversions, like not like maybe one or two sales. It wasn't, it wasn't huge. Um, but I, you know, for someone like Samuel Ovens where every sale is worth at least $2,000 to him, 
and those people can ascend up his value ladder ladder right. even getting that one sale was worth doing what he's doing with the support team and everything but it might be an overkill for people like you and me yeah, it sounds like it might be. I, I would have expected that conversion to be a lot higher because when you have an evergreen webinar, I figured having that s- somebody in there available to address questions when the when the person presenting the webinar can't with their voice would uh, would just really make it feel like an experience for people attending the webinar. Yeah, um, what I well because I did my webinar about a hundred times. Uh, uh, before I got to where I am today, like I'm not exaggerating, like <laughs> it's literally about a hundred times over three years. Um, and what I, so I kind of like know what kind of questions people ask. Um, and so kind of covered everything pretty extensively. Yeah. So just making sure that like, you know, like explaining all the product in a lot, a lot, a lot of detail, like getting, you know, even though I feel like, you know, your product so well that sometimes like you're like, oh, you know, it's obviously in there, but someone coming new in into it um, and seeing it for the first time, they might not know some of those stuff. So like, I really get really granular, like telling them exactly what they're going to get and then taking them behind the scenes. It's like, when you register, this is what you will see. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, to me, so, so the, by far the top question that I get from anybody is, do I have to go through this program in 21 consecutive days? Yeah. I get that question so many times a day. And to me, it's obvious. Like I I hammer home that lifetime access, lifetime access, like you're not going to be able to go through this in 21 consecutive days. Most people aren't. Um, But I know that's a question that people are always going to have. So I've touched on that several times in the version of my evergreen webinar that's up right now. Um, So let me ask you about, let's continue to talk about chat a little bit how do you handle the chat in general? If you're not in there, do you have like past chat roles going on or is the chat just disabled for you? Uh, past chat roles going on. Um, yeah, past chat roles going on and there's not really anyone in there. I did hire a support rep though. Um, so that's been, that's been an experience, um, hiring and managing people. Um, to do to do some of this stuff for me it's much harder than what uh what it looked like i know we jumped on the call uh just you and i are talking about how to hire people so i took some of the suggestions that you had and then i also asked some other people so they kind of combined all the approaches together when i was uh hiring because because can do you want to talk about that briefly we're still stick with the chat we can talk about whatever you want to talk about elena that sounds great okay cool so um here's a couple of my lessons learned in terms of hiring so um I think in the beginning I was like hiring um, from Pakistan and then Philippines. Um, The problem I was having with those was that they were really expecting me to have a script for them and they can just copy and paste, which just doesn't really work because every single support request is so different and everyone kind of wants that little bit of personal touch to it. So um, what I did was a couple of things. So before hiring someone, it wasn't just a fit interview anymore. And I got this idea from you was I actually took some sample, uh, you know, emails or Facebook posts or, you know, even webinar comments you could take um, to put it in for them and then see how they respond to those kind of things. Dude, this is a way for you to test whether or not they, you know, this person is a good fit or not. It kind of helps you see their personality and things like that. 
And then the second thing I did was I hired someone from my community. So I hired a past student from my of mine because what this helped me do was that they already understand. They already went through the webinar. They already understand the course. They know why people bought the course because they bought it themselves. So they kind of understand the market. So I just found that the training cost was just too high to train someone from brand new uh, to understand everything. So hiring someone from my community has really lowered down a lot of my upfront training costs because they already know um, what's going on in the community. Um, and the third thing I did was documentation. So when I hired my first girl, we were like on Skype like every day <laughs> for like 15 to 30 minutes um, because, you know, we, there was like always new issues coming up and there was like no documentation on how to do it. So one thing that we did together was whenever we went through <clears throat> an email together, there would be documentation on it. And then we added more and more documentation. So the documentation now is they probably would answer about 50% of the emails. So just a straight copy and paste, which also lowered down a lot of um, our response times for, uh, for um, uh, support requests. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. And I love that you hired somebody in your community. I've definitely heard, of that being a, a good way to approach it. But how do you, how do you, how do you approach your community with that request? Uh, send an email. I just send an email saying we're hiring as a subject line. And then, um, it, and it's not my entire list. It's just people who bought the course before. Um, I would send them an email subject line. We're hiring, you know, kind of have like the job description and body apply now. I think in my first round of hiring, I think I made it too easy for people to apply. So I, like, I think I got close to 100 resumes because the field was just first name, last name, email, resume, cover letter, optional. And then so it was like really easy for people to apply. So I think I got like a lot of resumes to sort through. Um, on my second round, I started, I did kind of like what you did with your job apps, like, like adding in a couple of those sample emails and they had to reply like have their sample replies ready before they can submit so i got a lot less applications on my second round but uh people who are more way more qualified so i think that's kind of the way to go yeah really cool if you if you make it super easy for somebody to apply a job uh, to a job you'll get you'll get everybody i know you know nate dotson microgreensfarmer.com was trying to hire a similar person and he posted in several places. And one of his instructions was, you know, email this, 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 and this to me. And in the subject line, put this. And he said like 99.9% .9 of the people sending stuff to him did not put the right subject line. Oh and God. so that actually made it kind of easy because he just, he just weeded those people out immediately. Um, but it's just, people will just like, it's all about quantity over quality when when people are applying to jobs they just want to throw their information to as many places as possible rather than taking the time to actually you know follow instructions and and show you that they they actually are interested in this position they're really interested in you right so yeah so i i find that just you know when i was hiring for support uh, positions adding you know kind of like three sample emails maybe that you see a lot at the bottom and seeing what the replies are um, it's really helpful. So you can see what their language skills are like before even jumping on the call with you. So you're not like really wasting your time with someone. So I thought that was yeah. like, so, so how, how's the hire going? How long have you had this person and how's it going so far? 
Um, so my first girl actually quit after two months because she found another job. And um, so, and then now I have my second girl. She's been around for about uh, almost two months now. How's it going? It's good. It's good. It's good. Um, probably hiring another person actually this week. So that's exciting because um, I kind of feel like now that support is more or less under control. Um, I want to take a look at content and kind of do the same thing with content. Um, hiring someone to kind of help me with blog posts, YouTube videos, that kind of thing. And and because um, like one thing I'm noticing is with content, I kind of do it ad hoc every single week. Like, um, okay, what am I going to put out this week? And then it's always like, Sending all the email last minute, finishing the video last minute, but I kind of want it more streamlined. Where um, Paying Journal actually has a good course on this. I think it's called Content Multiplier, something course formula, something like that. And uh, but like the premise of it is that you spend um, a day or two. Uh, sorry, I think he his promise, if I remember correctly, is three days for three months of content. Anyway, something like along those lines. But the, the point of it is like he would uh, create all this, con- like do keyword research in the batch, have a list of keywords ready, and then film maybe like 30 videos all at once or something over three days. And then he would then pass this, um, put it into one folder, and then, uh, then like have one folder for YouTube, one for blog, one for Instagram, one for Facebook, etc. And then each of those videos would then be converted into... Um, a blog post, a Facebook post, a uh, um, Instagram post, LinkedIn post, whatever, right? Like all the places where you want to kind of be seen on the web. And he's just filming the uh, the original videos. So he has a content team ready that streamlines the content and puts it into all the other platforms for him. And then he posts every single day. So that's kind of like an extreme example. I've kind of taken that and like, like kind of, um, made it sort of <laughs> something manageable manageable for me at this point because I don't have a full-on content team. So what I've kind of been starting to do is take two days to record content for an entire month. And then, um, but now I'm still the one that's kind of converting it into the other, other platforms. And then so like my next level of automation in the business is hiring a content person coming on to kind of convert it into the blog post, convert it into, you know, um, Facebook, et cetera, so that you have content. One, you, you do it, you do it just for YouTube and then you have content for the entire platform. All the that, that's really cool. Cause sitting down and, and doing content creation, filming videos is, can be daunting, intimidating, but if you know that, just by you doing that, it can like literally multiply to all these different platforms is really cool. I've not heard of the content multiplier formula. Um, who's that by again? Peng June. So P-E-N-G-J-O-O-N. Peng June. Um, and um, YouTube, it's, I feel like YouTube is seriously the next blue ocean. <laughs> blue ocean. It's, it just, it's, there's so much more traffic. It's the second biggest search engine in the world. It's much easier to rank on YouTube than on, you know, Google and much more people are using it. So I feel like everyone should be doing YouTube. Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's, I want to jump back to your funnel a little bit here um, and get into some of the details of how you set this up. So your website is examspm.com. And when I go there, I'm drawn to the start for free button right in the middle. And when I click that, that's clearly a uh, ever or 
webinar jam slash ever webinar pop up getting me to register for a webinar, right? So I can select the date. Um, we're recording this on October 22nd. So I get two choices, Monday, 22nd of October, Tuesday, um, the 23rd of October. So let me select 22nd. And I see that I have 1130 AM uh, Eastern time available, which is in nine minutes from right now. And then I also have uh, 8 PM as an option. And then if I were to select the 23rd of October, um, then I could do 1 PM or 8 PM tomorrow. So I think it looks like I have four options. And so it looks like you did implement the just in time feature to where maybe every 15 minutes, somebody can go ahead and attend pretty, attend pretty immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Is that okay. fair? Okay. So what happens after I click register now? Uh, you'd be taken to the thank you page. And then there's like a video there. Um, and basically it's just giving people incentive to attend on a desktop versus on mobile um, because conversion is just way higher on on desktop than mobile so basically the thank you video just said just kind of reminds them why they want to come to the training like all the things that they're going to learn and and then reminding them of the freebies that they're going to get only if they go into the webinar then like you know make sure you're attending if you're not on desktop right now go to a desktop and attend this because the files will be much easier to download if you're on a desktop than mobile um so kind of reminding them of the bonuses that they're going to get and uh telling them how to get those. Okay. And what happens like for me with an, with an evergreen webinar, um, what I usually tell people is once somebody registers, there's one of four things that's actually going to happen. And I I love your opinion on this and see what you're doing. But basically those four things that are going to happen after they register, after they give you their email address, register for the time is one, they're not going to show up at all. Two is they're going to show up and never see your offer. So leave early and never actually see the offer. Three is they're going to show up, see the offer, don't buy. And four is they're going to show up, see the offer and buy. Do you have contingencies in place for all four scenarios? Um, Okay, so yes. And okay, so let me think. Um, So I have retargeting ads, my Facebook retargeting pixel in the live webinar room. So when someone goes into my webinar and uh, doesn't buy, they'll be retargeted on Facebook with the offer. So it goes directly to the sign up page, basically. So I do have, re- so if people landed on the webinar page and didn't sign up, I have a different retargeting um, ad for them to be like, hey, time's up, you didn't sign up. And then, you know, reminding them to sign up again. I think it just like time's up. And then, uh, then I have like the retargeting ads for people who have been in the webinar room, um, just in the webinar room, whether they bought or not, because I couldn't get into that level of, of granularity. So it's just targeting everyone who's been in that room and, um, you know, redirecting them to, uh, to purchase basically. Okay. So you're doing that with ads. Are you doing anything with email? Yeah. Yes. Yes. As well. Yeah, so if someone didn't attend the webinar, then there's an email sequence to get them to sign up for a new webinar, to sign up for another webinar. Um, and sorry, yeah, that's for people who um, haven't signed up or haven't stayed until a certain point in the webinar. They'll get like a series of uh, two emails that reminds them to sign up for the webinar again. And then for the people who have stayed past that, then they'll get a series of five emails over two days, two, two and a half days, something like that 
to remind them to buy. So that's like the follow-up sequence. Um, <clears throat> I find that most of the sales come from the webinar itself, though. Not, not as much from the follow-up. So um, for people who are looking to get their webinar working, I would say focus on the webinar first. Get your webinar converting first. The follow-up, it's almost like, like the icing on the cake kind of thing, you know? And are you providing any sort of incentive to people to actually make the purchase on the webinar? Yeah, yeah. What is that incentive? I'm seeing like they get certain bonuses only if they buy before the webinar is over. Okay. And so if they get one of the, if they see the offer, don't buy, and they get one of those follow-up emails, you mentioned five emails over the course of two days. Um, There's something they're not going to get when they sign up that they would have if they signed up on the webinar. And then are you, what kind of incentive are you providing people to actually sign up with those emails? Yeah, yeah. So, well, one big thing in my niche is that, um, it's that the people want to take an exam. And like, right, like that's what the course helps you do. It helps you prepare for an exam. So one of the bonuses that we have is and we'll review your application before you take your exam. So it's not like anyone can take this exam. You have to apply and be qualified before you can take it. Um, so we look over people's applications. So, you know, so that's one of the bonuses that that um, that we offer to make sure that they filled in everything correctly. And if they didn't, like they could get their application, you know, disapproved. Right. Mm-hmm. So is it is it just bonuses that are going away, or does the the whole offer come to a close after a certain period of time for people? The whole offer comes to a close after yeah after um, two days. So I have deadline funnel set up for that. So it's like an authentic deadline. Everyone has their own uh, deadlines. You can look up deadline funnel. They're great. Yeah, I, I use that as well. And so here's my next question. Um, somebody goes through the funnel. They don't buy. Deadline funnel closes the cart. They try to go there. They can't get there, right? But what if they're ready to buy four, six, eight months down the road? Like, how do they re-enter your funnel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So every month we send out emails reminding people that we have a free session. Like, I think set the date to like um, people who registered two, three months prior and haven't bought. I think that was the criteria in the email, and then get them to resend it for the for the webinar again. Um, and the deadline funnel cookie you can set it to when it expires. I think I set mine, if I remember correctly, to 14 days. Um, another thing I'm noticing with emails is that, like, the chances of someone opening email from you, like, five days after it's sent is very, very, very small. So it's almost like, you know, it's just such an off case that, and if they end up getting into the sales page, it's not that big of a deal. Like, you know, after 14 days, if someone saw the previous email and clicked on it and bought, like, I'm not going to be really upset. But the chance of that happening, it's so, so. It's, yeah, it's small. It's yeah, the way, the way I do things with the deadline funnel and everything is every four months. Like, people will have an opportunity to buy and re-enter the kind of the funnel every four months. And I get a lot of sales from that. Every every month, I'm, I'm re kind of remarketing to a fourth of my list that way. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my sales come from that. So it sounds like you're doing something similar. Um, yeah, I think similar, but I think shorter timeline. For me, it's uh, remarketing every two months. So yeah. Okay. So it sounds like the webinar is working really well for you. Um, can you give us an idea of, of kind of how much revenue this, this webinar funnel is bringing in for you? 
Yeah, um, I think between 60 to 65K a month right now. So it's not doing too bad. <laughs> it's, uh, supporting supporting my lifestyle for sure and uh, have money left over. Um, I think I should create a course on this. No one really um, prepares you for the change in your life when your um, business kind of grows very, very um, rapidly. There's a lot of changes that definitely trickle down in my, in my life. Um, I still try to try my best to stay, you know, the same person, but there's just changes that happens. Right. Um, Like one big, like one thing I didn't uh, prepare for as much is, you know, now you're on the radar more. So now I have lawyers, (laughs) um, which I didn't before when I was just very small, no one's really going to go after me, but now I need, you know, lawyers to kind of just protect everything um, so that, you know, um, every, so everything's like, no, not, no one can really uh, pick on things in a way kind of thing. Um, and then now I'm actually in the middle of um, considering opening a holding company. And um, the benefit of having a holding company is that one, it kind of protects you more from lawsuits. And two, if you want an exit strategy. So for those of you who are listening and are looking to kind of sell your company in the future, then um, having a holding company to hold the cash for extra profits in your company would be really beneficial. Because let's say that uh, let's say that your company makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, right? Hypothetically, and then instead of taking that money out as your personal income, you decide to put it in a company, but you are investing it instead of. Um, pouring it back into your business. Let's say you're buying stocks or bonds or whatever. When it comes time to sell the intellectual properties and systems and processes in your company, that that $100,000 that accumulated, that's still in your business. So it kind of becomes a bit messy. Like, is, is it a financial company or are you buying some other kind of company? It just kind of, the sale just kind of becomes a little bit messy in that regard. So if you have any... Um, any thoughts of having an exit strategy, it's good to have a holding company, then transfer that extra profit that you have into the holding company and invest it from there. It just keeps the, keeps it clean, you know, for those purposes. Well, congratulations on all the success. I know last time we were talking, I think it was bringing about 5k a month and and that was good enough for you to quit your job and everything. And, you know, 60 is, uh, it's a good bit more than that. So obviously things have worked out well since, since quitting your job and focusing on this. It turned out to be the best best decision I've ever made. It was the hardest decision at the time, and I, I honest I, I honestly didn't uh, couldn't even predict it that this was going to happen. But yeah, it was just a lot of work, you know, um, optimizing Facebook and uh, you know just every single step of the way, like kind of just break down your funnel, see where it's see where it's not working, and then. And then get that working, like track your CPL every day. Like what's your click through rate? What's your CPL? And then on your page, um, on your webinar page, I have something called mouse flow to kind of see like heat map and like where people are clicking on the page. Um, And then that helps me see like if there's anything that's kind of needs to be optimized on the page itself. Um, and then another thing, um, I think this is from one of Sam Oven's trainings, is that don't try to change your page too often because Facebook is actually indexing these kind of things. Like Facebook is a machine that's like learning, machine learning. Um, so you have to kind of put yourself in Facebook's position when you're 
trying to like put out your ads and things like that. Oh, one really good tip that um, Sam Alvin says is like, notice like what kind of photos you like on Facebook. It's usually like photos, like not like stock photos or really professional photos, right? It's usually like maybe you uh, playing soccer or, you know, graduation or you with your wife or something like that, right? Like just normal everyday photos. Those are probably tend to be the photos that you organically like um, through your feed. So um, one thing he was saying was that you you can use those kind of photos in your ads. And, and I don't know if you saw his ads, but his ads, the photos are just, you know, every kind of like everyday photos that he took, like him and his cat or him sitting on a couch, things like that, like nothing too fancy. And though he found that those were the best uh, converting um, ads. So just make it look natural. And that's something I'm testing as well. I'm taking pictures of my students and putting them in ads. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, just everyday photos, no stock photos, no like LinkedIn really professional photos, just like kind of like just everyday photos. That's a good tip. So going back to, um, let's talk about expenses, going back to, you know, your revenue numbers. As you know, like making 60K a month in revenue is amazing. But if you're spending 60K or more than that, then that's not a good thing either. Can you give us an idea of like what your expenses are, um, how much it is and kind of what your biggest expenses are? Biggest expense by far is definitely Facebook. Definitely Facebook ads. Um, I've also started YouTube ads as well. So ads probably takes about 30% of the budget. And then everything else, it's not very significant. Like a lot of software, you know, um, active campaign, about 100 bucks a month. Um, Thinkific, about 100. Uh, deadline funnel is 37 well, for me, me, my biggest, my biggest expenses would be ads, and then two would be contractors, right? So, I'm sure you're spending more on contractors than you are on software. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, software, I was just getting that, and then the third is just I have like one assistant part time. Um, so I probably pay her about one to one point five a month because right now it's just the um, support portion that I kind of have going that's you know kind of automating that's the word that's uh, automating just means you don't have to do it it's not that you know it's a machine doing it so she's doing more of the support for me um but like i said i want to hire more contractors so that they can take more work off of my plate so the content piece is next so i probably foresee contractor cost to go up to um two three k a month last last question for you and then we'll roll um you you have significantly grown your business, your online course business over the past eight, 10 months. Yeah. Um, for somebody that already has an online course, what what other advice do you have to five or 10X their course like you have? Okay, so um, hmm, uh, scale with ads. Um, that's probably the best advice. Uh, scale with ads and then just keep keep at it. Like, just be persistent, like with your goal. And then just, you know, every day, try something new. Like, you know, I, I didn't know these were the things that were going to work uh, 10 months ago, but it's almost like every single week I'm running a different test on like what will work, what will work. Um, so ads, scaling with ads. And then the second thing that really boosted my profits, like instantaneously without doing any ads, it's having upsells. And I don't know why it took me so long to add in upsells. So now I have two upsells. Uh, one's for $37, one's for $67. 
And um, that probably adds a good seven, eight K a month from no advertising, no additional advertising. These are people that was already bought. So um, it's just a way of, you know, adding in a bit more uh, income in that, in that regard. So are we talking about like a little order bump at the bottom of the order form or actually the very next page trying to sell them something else to add onto their order? Yeah, both. So this 37, it's a bump offer. And then the 67 is the next page. So I, I know I already said one more question, but I, I'm curious about that because like one thing I struggle with is where do you draw the line with what you're going to upsell to people versus including that as a bonus in the course? Um, I think, um, so it depends on what you promise in your course. So your course needs to be complete enough to deliver the original promise that you promised them. Right. So I think that's kind of how I divided it. Um, whereas my, um, my upsells is, is like additional things that they can do. So I think your offer has to be complete to get people the result that they want. You don't want to splinter your course into a course and upsell. Like um, a good example of this is like a friend of mine's currently putting together his webinar for his YouTube course. So his course has to be complete for someone to take that course and be able to, to uh, know what they have to do every single week to post YouTube videos. And when they post, you know, how, how do they do the keyword research? How do they, choose the right title, the right description, except all of that, right? But then his upsell could be YouTube advertising. So his original promise was that he's doing a YouTube course and his course does deliver upon that. But the upsell is like, oh, you're already, you're, you're doing YouTube already. Do you also want to learn how to do ads on YouTube? You see what I'm saying? So that's like an upsell. Makes sense. Something related mm -hmm. uh, that can help them get an even bigger result, but it's not related to your core offer. Your core offer still has to be complete. You can't divide your YouTube course into half and then try to sell the other half into an upsell, for example. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure once again. What you'll have to do is next, when you, when you 10X again, you'll have to let me know and then we'll have you back on the podcast, okay? We'll do another podcast when I get to, uh, I don't know. Oh my gosh, that'll be 600. <laughs> <laughs> That might be a little too much. All right. Well, that's going to do it. Um, let every let everybody know where where all they can find you online, okay? Exampm.com. All right. Thanks, Elena. Catch you next time. Thanks, Jack. See ya. All right. That's going to do it for another episode of the Online Course Guy podcast. You can find all the show notes and links from today's episode by going to theonlinecourseguy.com slash 83. Don't forget, you can get a free 14-day trial of the awesome software Bonjoro by going to bonjoro.com slash Jacques. And check out my free online course workshop. Whether you're a total beginner and you need to start down the right path, or you have an online course already and it just hasn't reached your goals, this free online course workshop is for you. You can get it once again for free at theonlinecourseguy.com. And thanks for listening to this podcast. There'll be more coming your way really soon. <music>